This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, hey, everybody. It's so good to be with you this morning. Uh, I just want to reiterate something that you saw on the announcement video, and that's that uh, I am going to be doing a couple Let Me Help You seminars coming up uh, in the next couple months. And these are all designed to really help you right where you're at, address some needs that are present probably already in your life. We're going to do Let Me Help You Pray on February 18th. Uh, It's so common for me to sit down with somebody, how's your prayer life? And Man, I don't know. I mean, I don't know God really wants to hear what's going on in my life, you know. But there's a lot of misconceptions about prayer, a lot of, in in some ways, just I don't know what to do. And so we take that night to really kind of give you a game plan and answer some questions that you have when it comes to prayer. And then on March the 10th, let me help you read your Bible. There's nothing that's going to impact your life like getting to know the Word of God. God left us a love letter. He left us an instruction manual, and we need to be familiar with it. We don't need to leave the pages of it unturned. And so on March the 10th, I'm going to give you a general overview of what the Bible is and give you several methods of studying the Bible. I believe it will be really, really helpful for you. Those seminars normally fill up really quick. We, we provide, it's at no cost to you, okay? So it's a free class for you, but we provide food, we provide child care, so we need to know who's coming. Please go ahead, if you're planning to be there, get registered if you would, and get registered online. Now today we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians is a very interesting book to me. The book of Philippians is one of the prison epistles of the Apostle Paul. Paul is in prison and writing some of the churches that he's had influence over. And he's writing them and giving them some encouragement and some instructions. Now, one of those letters goes to the church in Philippi, Greece. This is the book of Philippians. And this letter, which is so interesting to me, scholars would assert that the theme of the book of Philippians is joy. Y'all listen to me. If I was writing a letter to somebody, if I was in prison, the last thing I'd be writing about was joy. But somehow the Apostle Paul has such joy in the Lord that he's encouraging this church to choose a better attitude. Now we're going to be in verse 4 which is kind of begins what the NIV translators subtitle as Paul's final exhortations. In, in this letter, this is the last few things that the Apostle Paul is going to say before he gets into his final farewells. And so would you stand all around the room just in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Just to invite you, we'll all stand as I read through these few verses, beginning in verse 4. Rejoice In the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, 
whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Can we pray as we get started? Father God, we just come before you. Humbly asking that in a moment like this, you could do what we could never create on our own. God, could we encounter you today by the presence of your Holy Spirit? We give you permission to encourage us, to challenge us, to convict us, and to compel us into a next step of faith in this journey that we're on with you. We pray all of that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. You may be seated. While you're taking a seat, touch your neighbor and say, that sounds like good advice. Now you look back at them and say, that sounds like good advice you need to take. I was reflecting the other day on my time in college. And there's something you can do when you're in college. It's very interesting. You can audit a class. You're enrolled in the class, but you're not taking the class. You get to go to the lectures. You get to meet the professor. You get all the information, but you don't have to do the papers, the assignments, take the tests. You're auditing the class. And at the end of the semester, if you're auditing, you don't get any credit. I've come to believe that there are too many of us auditing Jesus. We want to know more about Jesus. We want to sit in the lectures. We want to learn the principles. But we're not willing to do the work. Instead of auditing, it is my prayer that today you might move to going all in. And here's why. Within the kingdom of God, I want you to get the credit. I want you, when it's all said and done, for there to be something different about who you are. And that doesn't happen if all we're doing is auditing. Let's go back through these verses, beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Notice that word always. Many of us are good at rejoicing on the good days. But this is not a good day verse. This is an everyday verse. This is a mountaintop and valley verse and every day that happens in between verse. This is an all the time verse. The theological term is this is an allscape. It includes everything. Rejoice in the Lord always. How can it be? Well, when you're walking with Jesus, there's always something to celebrate. See, the thing is you might be on your worst day. But the story's not over with. I love that some in Christendom, some of our most significant celebratory songs that look to the future hope of heaven were born out of American slavery. 
putting human beings in some of the worst conditions imaginable. And yet, devoted brothers and sisters in Christ in those circumstances were not trapped by their circumstances, could look beyond their circumstances and celebrate that there's heaven awaiting me outside of this life. When you're walking with Jesus, there's always something to celebrate. You might not feel like it. It might not even look like it. But you can choose a better perspective. Rejoice in the Lord always. The next thing he says is, let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. I love the word gentleness. I don't think that as a guy there's a more countercultural idea than being gentle. Why? If you look around the world, what do you see? Anger, harshness, opinionation. But that word gentle appears in the writings of the Apostle Paul several times. You go to the letter that he wrote to the church in Galatia. Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. It's a byproduct of our relationship with God. We trust God. And I need you to hear this. You might not know how, but in the end, Jesus wins. When it's all said and done, when the dust settles, here's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to win. I love this quote with its origins in Dr. Tony Evans. Don't, you, you don't need to think about a Jesus that came to take sides. Jesus came to take over. So many of us think about the world in, in terms of sides. It's Republican or Democrat or liberal or conservative or my side and your side. Listen, in the kingdom of God, there's only two sides. You can be on Jesus' side or you can be on the losing side. Because in the end, Jesus is going to win. And when you finally understand that, you might not need to be as angry as you have been. Because it's no longer about me. It's not about my way. It's not about my opinion. It's not about my team. It's his team. It's his win. He'll take care of it in his time. I can be gentle. Let your gentleness be evident to all why the Lord is near. And then he says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It starts with a command. Don't be anxious about anything. Again, an escape. This means not to be anxious even in the most anxious of moments. And then he gives you the roadmap of how to deal with it. With everything, in every situation, all the things in your life, with prayer and petition, Make your request known unto God. And what will happen? A peace that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. If you look around the world, you can tell that we're not living that way. We're worried about everything because we pray about nothing. Y'all listen to me. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. Some of us are all eat up with worry. But we've got no prayer life. Paul is saying, instead, 
What you need to do is in every situation, don't be anxious. Bring it to God. And then finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. One of the most hot-button topics for mental health experts is mindfulness. This idea that I can control what's happening in my mind. I'm not a slave to my thoughts. I can direct my thoughts. I'm a master in some way over them. And Paul, thousands of years ago, the Apostle Paul is expressing the same idea. You need to choose your thoughts wisely. Why is he focusing on the thoughts we choose? Sometimes you got to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Proverbs 23 has the answer. For as he thinks within himself, so is he. Verse 7 says. Paul is saying, you need to guard your thoughts. Watch your thoughts. Because your thoughts will become who you are. And then lastly, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. I'm probably going to say that like Alan Iverson every time. Put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. He's saying, listen, I've been around you. You know me. I've spent time with you, helping you grow. I've taught you about how to do marriage and how to do life and how to manage your finances and how to approach relationships. Whatever you've learned from me, or even if it's just something you saw in me, put it into practice. I love that it does not say put it into perfection. Because so many of us have left the claims of the Christian faith untried because we think we'll never get it perfect. And the truth is, you just got to start. Paul is saying, put it into practice. Put it into practice. And practice implies some things. Is there in your notes? Let me walk through this real simply what the term practice implies. Number one. It implies gradual development. You're not going to practice something you've mastered. I'm growing in this. I'm growing. I'm not there. I'm here. I'm growing. Many of you know, if you don't know, I taught high school here in Stanley County for about five years. And in that time, I coached high school football. I was not a very good high school football player at all but I had the opportunity. And here's what I can tell you. The last week of practice looked a lot different than the first week of practice. Because in the first week, we would teach fundamental things. How do you form tackle? How do you take the right angle on a play? But we weren't teaching those later in the year. Why? Because we have developed those skills. There's a gradual development that happens. When the Bible says put these things into practice, it is simply understanding that we are not perfect in them. We're going to need to start trying. 
I'm not great at walking away from anxiety, but I'm trying. I'm practicing turning to God and turning to prayer. I'm not great at being thankful on a rough day, but I'm practicing it. It's gradual development. The second thing that practice implies is that it's work towards progress. Oh, anytime you hear the word practice, it's going to involve some work. You're going to have to get to work. It's not just a sit and soak and receive. It's a you're going to have to take this and start doing some work with it if you're ever going to grow with it. There's work that must be done towards progress. I remember some of y'all have this memory with me. The end of football practice. The coach would blow the whistle. Take off your shoulder pads. It's time to run. Well, I don't want to run right now. I don't care what you want to do. It's time to run. And there in the middle of that moment, knowing that when we were fatigued after going through offense and defense and special teams, that that was the moment to build the endurance we would need. We needed to put in the work. And then we would start sprinting and there'd be that guy over there throwing up and that guy's done passed out. It was time to do the work. Y'all listen to me. When the Bible talks about being gentle, knowing that God's going to win in the end, I've got to realize that I've got to put some work in. I'm not there right now. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some work to start migrating away from anxiety and turning to God in prayer. I've got to put the work in. And why? This is number three. Because it's preparation for the future. Whatever I'm practicing now is something that I'm going to need to know later on in the future. For one year, I had the privilege of coaching a JV high school basketball team. I knew nothing about basketball, but I got roped into doing it. And I learned all basketball coaching is way different than football coaching. And I remember halfway through, I'm starting to get the hang of it. And you learn in basketball, you got a lot more games and a lot less practices. So you learn, well, two weeks from now, we're playing a team that have one really good player, scores almost all the points. Well, about two weeks before that, we got to start practicing a box in one. You know, we got we got to put it in practice before we need it. It's preparation for the future. So when Paul says, "Don't be anxious about anything, but in all things with prayers and petitions, make your requests known unto God, and the God of peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He's saying, listen, you got a chance right now with some pretty low-grade things to practice turning to God and trusting Him and giving it to Him in prayer. But you want to know why you want to practice? Because there's some stuff coming later in your life that's a lot bigger than what you're facing right now. And if you've developed the practice It'll help you later on in life. Practice, just as a definition, is a verb. It means to perform an activity repeatedly in order to become proficient in it. In other words, I'm not good at it, but I'm practicing, and one day I'm going to be pretty good at this. For us today, 
Here's our working definition of practice. Practice is the discipline. I love that word, discipline. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that no discipline is pleasant at the time, but instead it's painful, but it produces a harvest of righteousness and blessing for those who are trained by it. Practice is the discipline. It's not easy. It's at times painful. There's a harvest on the other side if I'll be trained by it. It's the discipline of consistent effort that produces gradual growth that I need for my future. It's my practice. Now, about two years ago, I rediscovered a a childhood love. I, I played golf when I was a teenager and as as a kid I I wasn't very good at it but I I loved playing golf and then I became an adult went into ministry and the only time I could afford to play golf was when somebody from church invited me to go play golf all right that was it and I was lucky to be in a church where we had a few friends who invited me about once a week and so I did play pretty consistently for a long time but when we moved and played the church nobody invited me to play golf anymore (laughs) So I quit playing golf 10 years ago. But about two years ago, I started playing golf again. Again, I'm not very good at it. But yesterday, I was on the range, okay? And I've heard this saying that amateurs practice until they can get it right. I'm on the range. I get a bucket of balls, and I take out my just my 7-iron and my 5-iron. And I go, I should hit this about 165 that flag's 165 and I you know the first one goes over there the second one goes over there the third one goes like right there you know I mean it's not I just totally topped the ball and about 20 balls in I finally hit it and you know in my heart I'm like I did it I did it I'm done I'm done I'm good I can leave now amateurs practice until they get it right professionals practice until it's hard for them to get it wrong. If you watch a professional golfer warm up, they walk out with that seven iron and they'll go, this is a lot longer than mine. <laughs> 200, 205, and they're going to, almost every time, it's going to go almost to the same place. There'll be some variances, but they practice. And the difference is, is that I've hit hundreds of those things they've hit tens of thousands of them see listen practice is habit building so when the apostle paul says i want you to put these things into practice what he's saying is i want you to build some habits I want you to start right now in your heart and in your life beginning to build some habits. The reason that for them it looks different is they've built a habit that is different. You know, you're thinking, what's a habit? A habit, here's a simple definition. A habit is a behavioral tendency. It's something you do frequently and regularly, often without even knowing you're doing it. Some of you have the habit of biting your fingernails. That's why at home you don't have fingernail clippers because you are the fingernail clipper. It's a habit. And for many people who bite their fingernails, they don't even think about it. They just, oh, I did it, you know, spitting them out. That's so gross. Sorry. 
I don't bite my fingernails. But I'm not judging you. I'm just saying, okay? It's a habit. It's a behavioral tendency. And here's what I want you to think about this in life. Every practice in our life, every one, the way that we do something, think about a practice as that. The way that I handle that situation or the way I do that or the way I mentally or emotionally process that, every practice is creating a habit. That's why, I want to say this today, and this is a lot of the, the genesis for this series, we need to examine our practices. For so many of us, the practices of our lives remain uninspected and unchallenged. As a matter of fact, just think about these examples with me. What do you do when you're overwhelmed? Because the way that you handle that situation is building a habit. The way that you handle it this time is how you're going to tend to handle it next time. Do you go brain fog? Get very emotional? Start yelling and screaming and get angry? Or do you pray? God, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. Or do you self-medicate? Turn to alcohol or pills? What do you do when you feel overwhelmed? What do you say to yourself when you make a mistake? What do you say to yourself? I mean, I know what I... You stupid idiot. I can't believe you did that. Or do you... God, that's not how it's supposed to work out. Help me learn the lesson. Help me see what I'm supposed to learn out of this. You know why it's important to understand that habit? Because the way we talk to ourselves when we make a mistake becomes a habit. And we will talk to the people we love the most the same way. How do you celebrate a win? I mean, when something goes right in your life, how do you celebrate it? Are you the person who steps back and look at what I did? Look at what I earned. Look at what I made happen. Or do you simply go, God, you blessed. I don't deserve it. Because the way you handle that moment is building a habit. How do you react when somebody does something that you don't agree with? You get all mad. I'm defriending you on Facebook. Not going to follow you on Instagram anymore. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm going to give the cold shoulder. Try to manipulate, coerce. Or do you get in front of God? God, I don't have to win. I want you to win. And I don't understand what's happening right now. Every time, the way you handle it, it's building a habit. And I've come to see this. There are certain habits every Christ follower needs to build. We're going to talk about those in this series. As a matter of fact, so this series, we're going to start this next week with the habit of placing Jesus at the center. Please hear me. Jesus doesn't just want to be your number one priority. 
He wants to be at the center of every aspect of your life, the center of your family, the center of your friendships, the center of your finances, the habit of placing Jesus at the center. In the third week, week three, we're going to talk about the habit of trusting God. Why? Because we're all going to hit moments when things don't make sense. And in that, we're going to have to have cultivated a habit of what we're going to trust. So many of us turn to mama and daddy. We turn to blogs and podcasts and even turn to ourselves because we've cultivated the habit of doing that instead of trusting God. And in the last week, we're going to talk about the habit of choosing progress because every single person in this room will fail royally and epically. And when you hit those moments of failure, you're going to have to decide, what am I going to do with it? And the choice is to develop a habit of choosing progress. We need to examine our practices. They are building habits. And just here's the big idea for this series. Number two, we all have heart habits. We all do. Every single person in this room has habits that it's not just biting your fingernails. It's stuff that's happening in your heart. Did you notice Paul in Philippians 4? What he's instructing them to put into practice. Put into practice gratitude. Put into practice gentleness and prayerfulness to seek God's peace and mindfulness over what's going on in your brain. Think about that. That's stuff that's happening on the inside. He's not looking at them and going, hey, Listen, I've seen some pictures of y'all on Facebook, and uh, y'all a little out of shape, okay? So here's what I need y'all to do. I need y'all to start working out. Let's eat some smaller portions. I know, listen, I know, y'all snacking when you're stressed, okay? All right, stop that. He's not talking, he's talking about stuff that's happening in their hearts. Why? Because the habits of our heart determine the quality of our lives. Some of you, I know this is true in a room this size. Some of you have amazing lives. But you're not living in the blessing. And all that's different is the way your heart habits are affecting your perception of where you are in life right now. So the Bible says in Proverbs 4, watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. What happens in our heart is going to flow out of our heart. It's going to impact the life that we live out here. This is why when I say negative things to myself when I make mistakes and I don't have grace and patience with myself, I'll invariably flow out of my heart and it will project onto the people I love the most. But the good news is you can build better habits. And if you will, it'll change your life. Change your life. I'm, I'm talking about radically transform your life. But just one simple takeaway as we kind of land this plane. To build better habits, we often need to break bad habits. This is what psychologists call the replacement principle. We often either focus on what we're supposed to stop or start, but it's both of those that work together. So for Paul, when he's addressing the church in Philippi, it's as if he's addressing things they need to stop 
so that they can start these other things. Think about this with me. Building the habit of gratitude requires you to break the habit of entitled expectation. So many of us are have, have really low levels of gratitude because we have really high levels of expectation and entitlement. Well, they, they ought to treat me like that, and they should do that, and they should have been there for me, and they should have said that, and they... We expect it, we're entitled to it, and we're not thankful for what we have in our life. Why? Because we're living like entitled brats. To build the habit of gratitude, you've got to break the habit of entitled expectation. Breaking the habit, or to build the habit of gentleness, it requires you to break the habit of anger. For so many people, when we feel out of control, especially guys, it's not going my way. I don't like how it is. We have a habit in our heart of turning to anger. But if we can break that, God, it's not about my team or my way. It's about you winning. I want you to win. I can choose to build the habit of gratitude. Building the habit of peace and prayerfulness requires you to break the habit of worry. There's a lot of us in this room that when things we don't know how it's going to work out. It feels insecure. We have a heart habit of choosing to worry about it. And we got to break that habit so that we can turn to God in those moments and present our prayers and petitions so that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, can guard our hearts and minds. Building the habit of mindfulness requires you to break the habit of jealousy and lust and greed. And the truth is, is that our cultures eat up with those things. And it's not just what you think. It's lusting after how her husband treats her. It's being greedy to get that position that God gave them. It's being jealous of the way you think a family looks because you only see pictures of them online and you don't understand the ugly back end. We've got to break those habits if we're going to build the habit of mindfulness. And just to be clear, y'all, bad habits aren't just bad because they're unhelpful. Bad habits are bad because they're sin. Jealousy is not just an unhelpful habit. It's sin. Greed is not just an unhelpful habit. It's sin. Lust is not just an unhelpful habit. It's sin. Anger is sin. And here's the truth about sin. You can't earn your way out of sin. You can't just cowboy up and I'm going to try not to be angry anymore. The only way out is Jesus. And if you're in here today and you find yourself trapped in a bad heart habit, knowing that you consistently turn to anger and lust and greed, I've got good news for you today. When Jesus died on the cross, He died to break the power of sin over your life. His payment was full and sufficient. And His death, the blood that was poured out on your behalf, it paid fully and finally what it would take to get you out of the prison of that sin. 
Which means that when I'm in Christ, I'm no longer trapped in entitlement or anger or worry or lust or greed. See, surrendering your life to Jesus, it breaks the power of sin. And it opens the way to building better habits. The Bible says that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away and all things have become new. That means new instincts, new tendencies, and yes, new habits. Because new habits will lead to a new life. How do I get there? The good news is you don't get there because you earned it. You get there because Jesus earned it for you. And in this moment, all you have to do is say, God, I surrender. And he will save you right where you're at. Don't audit Jesus anymore. Because when you're auditing, you don't get credit. And I know that some of us, we've got to make the decision to go all in. And it's going to require some work. It's going to require some practice. But at the end, what you get out of it is far greater than what you could have ever imagined you'd get. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.